Well, if you would, please stand for the reading of God's Word. We're in the Gospel of Mark. I'm going to be reading from chapter 3, beginning at verse 21 through the conclusion of Mark chapter 3, which is verse 35. And when his family heard it, they went out to seize him, for they were saying, he is out of his mind. And the scribes who came down from Jerusalem were saying, he is possessed by Beelzebul, and by the prince of demons, he cast out the demons. And he called them to him and said to them in parables, how can Satan cast out Satan? If a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. If a house is divided against itself, that house will not be able to stand. And if Satan has risen up against himself and is divided, he cannot stand, but is coming to an end. But no one can enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man. Then indeed he may plunder his house. Truly I say to you, all sins will be forgiven the children of man. In whatever blasphemies they utter, but whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness, but is guilty of an eternal sin. For they were saying, he has an unclean spirit. And his mother and his brothers came, and standing outside, they sent to him and called him. And a crowd was sitting around him, and they said to him, your mother and your brothers are outside seeking you. And he answered them, who are my mother and my brothers? And looking about at those who sat around him, he said, here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of God, he is my brother and sister and mother. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. Last Sunday, I talked about how Jesus' popularity was swelling you had the crushing crowds that were moving towards Jesus, and these crowds were now coming from long distances. And these crowds were full of women and men and children who had disease and those who were demon-possessed. Literally, the word crowd in the Greek literally means crush. And Jesus was fully man, so being fully man, he was concerned that he might literally be crushed by these desperate people who just simply wanted to touch him because they wanted to be healed. And they believed they could be, even if they just touched him. So he told the disciples, have a boat ready for me, lest the crowd crush me. Along with those crushing crowds, we had the conspiring religious leaders, the Pharisees. They're spoken of here again as the scribes. And these aren't the local scribes. These have come from Jerusalem as well. And they're ready to be done with Jesus. They're plotting for ways to destroy him. Then you have the the demons who are confessing, really, that you are the Son of God, but not in a way of honor, but in a way of showing that they believe they have power over him. And then you have his family. Spoken of here again, they think Jesus is out of his mind. They think that he's crazy. What we think about Jesus and how we respond to the question, who is he, and have I trusted in him alone for salvation are the two most important questions a human being can ever ask. Who is Jesus? And have I trusted and rested in him alone for salvation? Who is Jesus? In order to understand this 
passage, Sinclair Ferguson encourages us to think of a TV screen that's split. Perhaps yesterday, this weekend, you've been watching a little bit of golf. It's the Masters. It's in the fall, not the spring. It's a weird season. We all know that. But we love the technology of being able to watch more than one player at once. Well, think of this scene that way. Think of a split screen with three different things taking place. First, you have Jesus, and you see him as he's speaking to the crowds, because once again, the crowds have gathered at the home that he's in. Next screen, you have the scribes and the Pharisees, who are going to speak about him, and they're going to blaspheme him. And then you have his family, and his family wants to get to him because they think he's gone mad, and they're standing outside of the crowd because they can't reach him. So picture that scene. And here's what happens. In the midst of it, Jesus gives one of the most frightening statements that there actually is an unforgivable sin. And if you were listening to the text, you heard it. And you might have immediately wanted to know, was that or what is that unforgivable sin? And have I ever committed it? Could I commit it? That's a really important question I'm going to unpack in just a minute. Along with that, you have again his family. They think he's crazy. And then you have the crowd in which they hear Jesus extend the definition of family. So let's look at those scenes. Let's start with the scribes. They've heard words now about this man. And people cannot deny the things that he has been saying about himself, about his kingdom, and that he's the king. They also can't deny that he's done things that require incredible power. And so as they are moving towards Jesus, understanding or trying to understand all that he is doing, the word tells us that they want to destroy him. So these religious leaders are conspiring against him. So it's in this text now where Jesus speaks to them as they describe him. Verse 22 The scribes who came down from Jerusalem were saying, he is possessed by Beelzebul, and by the prince of demons he cast out the demons. It's really interesting. They knew that he had cast out demons. The people who were possessed, who were acting weird and wild and crazy because of that demonic oppression and possession, had been set free. They could not deny As other people told them, yes, my son or my daughter, yes, my friend, or yes, that neighbor, they are no longer possessed by once what they were gripped by. And so they couldn't deny it. But they couldn't accept the power from which that took place. So they had two options. One was to deny what can't be denied. Everybody saw it. So they had to put the blame somewhere. It was either like just magic, but it was too powerful and too specific, or it had to be something spirit-filled far greater than humanity. And that's where they went. But they only had two options. Option number one, he is who he says he is. He is God. He's God himself. Or he's the opposite of God. He actually himself is possessed by the prince of demons, And by the prince of demons, he is casting out demons. So Jesus hears this. Jesus then moves into a series of short parables, verse 23. He calls them to him and says to them in parables, how can Satan cast out Satan? Jesus is just being logical. A kingdom, 
that is fighting against itself cannot defeat another kingdom. And then he says this amazing statement. No one can enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man. Then indeed he may plunder his house. There's more going on here than you might realize. Jesus here isn't just using a parable to describe what's true. He's actually describing what he's doing. He is coming as king into the strong man's house. The strong man is Satan, the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work among the sons of disobedience. And as Christ has been sent, he is now moving in and through this earth, on this earth, plundering, binding the strong man, delivering people from that which had held them captive. And it's going to continue all the way through his death, his resurrection, his ascension, his reign, and his promised return. Jesus is doing the very thing that this parable speaks of, and it's amazing. Then Jesus moves to the frightening statement. Truly, whenever that word is used, it's to get your attention. So if you're not paying attention right now, listen to what Jesus is saying. Truly, it's important. Truly, I say to you, and he is speaking to the scribes, the religious leaders, the theologians, all sins will be forgiven the children of man and whatever blasphemies they utter. But whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness, but is guilty of an eternal sin. The unforgivable sin. What is it? Blasphemy of the Holy Spirit is the unforgivable sin. And understanding what it is and what it is not is really important. When mankind hears a phrase like that, if they don't go to the word of God for their answer, they begin to make things up. That's called man-centered theology. Theology just means knowledge of God, and that is always dangerous. There's no authority there other than your own. So throughout the history of the church, people have said certain things about certain sins, and these are the ones that are unforgivable. They're the ones in our mind that we would say, there's just no way somebody could be forgiven for that. And that's not true. There's only one unforgivable sin. It's blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. It's not murder or even murder of self. It's not adultery. David committed adultery. David murdered, yet he received God's forgiveness and grace. The only unforgivable sin is blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. So what is it? Blasphemy is when you speak something. It is a verbal sin. Now, it doesn't necessarily have to come out of your mouth. It can be verbalized inside your head and your heart. But it is a statement against God, and specifically in this case, against the Spirit of God and who he is revealing Jesus to be as the Savior of mankind. So listen to these words very carefully. Blasphemy of the Holy Spirit is a persistent, willful, intentional, refusal to submit to who the Holy Spirit says Christ is. It is persistent. In other words, it's ongoing. It says the scribes came down from Jerusalem and were saying there is a progressive action there. When we commit this sin, 
It's a sin that moves through our life until there is a full and final rejection of who God says he is, who the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, reveals Jesus to be. Blasphemy of the Holy Spirit is a rejection and refusal to submit to God's plan of salvation given to us in Christ. That's the unforgivable sin. I've been asked so many times in my life by sincere people who wonder, because I've once said this phrase in my life, which was blasphemy, did I commit the unforgivable sin? And I asked them, are you worried about this? And of course they are. They wouldn't be talking to me. Let me encourage you. If you are worried about whether or not you've committed the unforgivable sin, that's a good place to be. Because people who commit the unforgivable sin are never worried. They're indifferent. They don't think it matters. They don't care. If this morning you're in a place and you're hearing these words and you wonder if that's possibly who you are or the trajectory that you're on because you have rejected whom the Holy Spirit says Jesus is. You have rejected God's plan of redemption even though you've heard it before and you're hearing it right now. If you're worried about that, it's very possible then that the Spirit of God is illuminating your hearts and minds, enabling you to embrace Jesus and receive and rest in him alone for salvation today. If you hear the good news and you say, I don't believe it, I don't care, then there's an indifference there that indeed might have you on that trajectory of what one day at your death would be a full and final rejection of who Christ is. Friends, when you hear the good news of Christ, those two questions I've already mentioned are so important. Who is Jesus? His word reveals in the power of the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, that Jesus is God. He is Savior of sinners. He and his word says, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know you have eternal life. You can know today that you have eternal life. There is no unforgivable sin except the hard-hearted, persistent rejection that one day might find itself in full and final form when you willfully and intentionally have said, I do not believe what the word says about Jesus. When we come to the Lord's table, we do something as pastors called fencing the table. And what that means is we're just putting out the warning that the word of God puts out, that this table is for God's people. It's not a Presbyterian table. It is a table, though, for the people who have rested and received in Christ alone their salvation. It's not a table for perfect Christians. It is not a table by which you make a list of your life and say, I'm pretty good, or I'm not as good this time, so perhaps I should resist. That's not it. It is a table for those who are part of God's true family, meaning you've been purchased by the blood of Christ. Now watch real quick what Jesus does here. He gives this 
urgent warning to the scribes and the Pharisees. And remember, friends, they're the most religious. And it's often the most religious who actually fail to see their deep need for God. They rejected him. He warns them. But then he hears a word. And the word is coming from these crushing crowds. The word is passing from one to another. Tell Jesus his mother and his brothers are outside looking for him. At some point, as you see the split screens, Jesus, as he's speaking, receives that word. Once he receives the word that your mother and your brothers are looking for you, he then pauses and he addresses the crowd. He addresses the crowd with this question, who are my mother and my brothers? It's verse 33. Who are my mother and my brothers? And then what he does is truly amazing. He looks at the crushing crowds and he says, here are my mother and my brothers. You are my family. This was not to badmouth Mary and the brothers. It was simply to say that there is a relationship with God that's more important than the flesh relationship of family. It's a spiritual relationship in which all those who do the will of God according to what he says here in the final verse of verse 35, all of those who do his will are part of his family for all eternity. Verse 35, for whoever does the will of God, he is my brother and sister and mother. So what does Jesus mean by the will of God here? Simply this, you repent and you believe. The will of God is to repent and believe that Jesus alone can save you. It is to repent, which simply means turn directions to be going one direction and believing one thing and then hearing a truth and realizing it's truth and saying, I'm no longer going that way, I'm going this way. One of the great things we have to repent of is that we think we can save ourselves. One of the great things we have to repent of is thinking that we could actually be good enough to obey God's word. We can't. We turn from that lie towards the one who saves us by grace and we rest and receive him alone for salvation. Today, if that is you, you are welcome to this table. You are welcome to partake of the elements of Christ's body and his blood because we've been commanded to do so. You are welcome to come to the sanctuary later today if you're online with us and partake of those elements if you've rested and received in Jesus alone. Because you are one with him. You are his family. His earthly family in this moment thought he was crazy. The religious leaders thought he essentially was Satan himself. The crushing crowds were intrigued by this power to deliver. And then he gives the word of deliverance. Do the will of God. And the will of God here is simply... Trust in me for your salvation. You cannot save yourself. 
no matter what you have done that you might think is unforgivable, it's not. The only unforgivable sin would be you rejecting this grace. Friends, Jesus does something so amazing here. He hears that his mom and his brothers are looking for him. And he says, who are my mothers and brothers? And he says, it's you. That's true of us as well. We come to this meal as a family. Today, if you know you're not part of the family of God, you've not received and rested alone in Jesus, you've heard the word's warning You've heard the truth of what is offered. If today is the day that you realize your need for Jesus and you pray for salvation, then you are his forever. You will be his forever. If today you're saying, I'm not there yet, and you're burdened by that, I trust that the Lord's moving. If today you don't care and you're just simply indifferent, I would read this passage again and pay close attention to the compassionate warning that Jesus is giving. Let's pray. Lord, as we get ready to come to the table to partake of these elements, I pray that the words that we sing now which are really the words of the gospel, would be of deep encouragement to us. Let us hear, Father, your voice through the powerful presence of the Holy Spirit and create in us a hunger for you. Lord, if there are those in our midst or those midst who are watching online, worshiping with us online, who long to know you, who've never professed faith in you, God, hear their prayers. Friends, simply pray out, I am a sinner I need a savior. There is only one. I trust you, Jesus, to forgive me. I rest in you alone. We pray this in your holy name, Christ. Amen.